Hi, welcome to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. As members of the Body of Christ, we offer love and encouragement to everyone. As Pastor Alex leads us through God's Word, we hope you will be lifted and filled with joy as we open our hearts and minds to the love of Jesus and the hope He gives us all. All righty, let's get into God's Word. I have a question before we start. Um, when it comes to current politics nowadays, um, I would say there's probably three camps of people. Uh, those who are so sick and tired of it they can't take another moment of news. Then there are those who are, ah, I could take it or leave it. It's kind of interesting, kind of, I don't know, I don't care. And then those who just love it. I just love everything I can get on the radio or in print or on the website. So I want to I just kind of find out in this room, where would you place yourself? Cannot stand it. Raise your hand. I'm just sick and tired of it. Okay, about a third. How many were kind of going, you know, it's yeah, kind of interesting. I like to keep up a little bit, but not that exciting. Yeah, who are you? Oh, good. About another third. Then how about those of you who just like love it? You could eat it day and night. Okay. That's a few of us. Okay, so we're the small number because I'm one of those two. I just love it. The reason I ask that is because, um, just be, is because the fact that I love something and want to always use some political thing as uh, an illustration doesn't mean it's helpful for this group. It'd probably be the five of us that raised our hands. We might go, oh, that's a great illustration. So um, I just wanted to kind of take the pulse because I would have something for you every Sunday, and we don't need that. I am just going to do something, though, that was in the news today, and it's not so much political. It's really about human nature. There was a meeting that uh, President Trump had with uh, Vladimir Putin, the uh, prime minister of Russia, and uh, one of the topics that came up was the question, did Russia meddle in the American elections in 2016? And Vladimir Putin adamantly denied having anything to do with it. Never in your life. And our president asked him probably three times, um, are you sure? How, are you sure that's your answer? And he said, I'm sure. So they came away with that. And the news story then was, among the Russian press, the Russians said to their people, President Trump believed Vladimir Putin, that he never meddled. And then the American press, in fact, Bar who's the uh, Secretary of State? No, I'm sorry, no, Secretary of State Tillerson. Rex Tillerson was in the room and said uh, he never said any such thing. President Trump knows for a fact that they meddled, but they will never admit it. So you've got two completely opposing stories, and here's my point. Somebody's lying. They can't both be telling the truth. Somebody's not telling the truth, and we're probably never going to get to the bottom of it, but we can have our suspicions, and you know. The point is, that's kind of where the battle for our brains lies, finding out whether we're being deceived or whether we're hearing the truth. I'm thinking about this concept of spiritual warfare, and I began doing some studying in, uh, in the passages that I, I think give some of the best illumination on that topic. Uh, what I'm discovering is, it's not all demonic, scary, freak-out stuff, this spiritual warfare. Most of it, there is some of that. Most of it has to do with what's up here, what's between our ears. What do we 
believe. And so I thought about some graphics. You know, what would be a great graphic to kind of really make the point? And, and of course, there's always, always, always some great stuff on the web. So I thought, well, battle for the mind. That's kind of neutral, but it shows there's all kinds of confusion and conflict going on in this brain. But then I saw this one. I thought, this one is really intense. Oh, hold on. Look at this one. That's spiritual warfare, baby. But I'm thinking... The problem with that is it just kind of it turns the topic into some really scary, ugly kind of mess that has to be extreme in order for it to be real. And I think that's overkill. There are times when we are literally face-to-face -face with what we believe is a demonic force, and we've had those kind of encounters some of us had, very, very graphic, very powerful, and they're very real. But that's probably not the majority of our experiences. So then I found this one. Okay, this one's kind of... Uh, a little bit more neutral, you know, there's this maze of confusion and which way is the real way out. And I go, that's a little too, that's not spiritual enough. It's not just all about brain and chemicals and, and neural pathways. And so then I found this one, the old traditional angel and devil, you know, and I thought, okay, that's just a little too weird. I don't know. And then there's this one. Oh, we're just a bunch of cells just kind of floating around in gears and chemicals and, you know, heartbeats, and it's all science. That's not it either. So I thought, you know, the best of both worlds, I think, is that combination. Oh, there's, there's one. Who? Yeah, that's... Uh. <laughs> just so you know, we didn't get permission from this guy to show that, so no. So I decided, let's, let's opt for this, because when I read the scriptures, I see a whole lot more of the devil's work having to do with how we think. And that bondages and strongholds come from patterns and habits that we begin to develop, that we get locked into, and they become demonic strongholds over time. But they don't start that way. They start generally with deception. So let's take a look, and we're going to be going through the, um, the armor of God, but it doesn't start there. We have to know what we're fighting against first before we start defending ourselves from it. So the best place to start, in my opinion, is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, 4, and 5. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there, or we can look at it up here. Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, verse 3, 4, and 5. Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I figure if the devil used deception in the garden, he attempted to deceive Jesus in the wilderness... You can count on the fact he's going to do the same thing to you and I. He doesn't have any new tactics. Deception is his primary tactic. He does use fear. Some of us like horror flicks. Some of us can't stomach them. They'll be in our memories forever and we'll have nightmares forever. Totally understand that. But some of us just like the adrenaline rush because we know it's not real. But horror flicks do create something the devil does use, and that's fear. And if he can make us afraid of him or afraid of the demonic realm and get us to just kind of lock up and freeze and not trust God and not step out in faith and just sort of freeze and not do anything radical or courageous for Christ, uh, well, then that 
tool has worked. But a lot of us can kind of get over that and go, you know, I'm just not going to be afraid or I'm going to face the lion. I'm going to do it afraid anyway. And I'm going to grow out of that. Most of his work is, like I said, what we believe. So I want to take a look at some things that, uh, that Paul says here that most Western cultures uh, are facing, people like you and I, where um, his real powers in our perceptions and our beliefs and our thoughts. Oh, I did go to Erie and Jaya once. We have a missionary, Paul, not Paul, but Gil Gravel and uh, his wife Gloria started their missions work translating the Bible for the Maya people. They're a primitive tribe in the mountains of Erie and Jaya, which is the other half of Papua New Guinea, just off the coast of Australia. Complete jungle, completely undeveloped, just absolute as out there as you can get. Built their own house by hand and everything. And um, I went to visit for about two weeks, and Gil took us to another mountain village where he wasn't doing translation work, but his missionary friend was. And uh, no, there's nothing to be afraid of, I promise you. But these people... But these people, when we got to this village, I noticed every single one of their houses was built about 20 feet off the ground. They're all tree houses. And Gil looks at me and goes, I bet you don't know why their houses are all 20 feet off the ground. And, and I, of course, think flooding. I don't know, alligators, I don't know. Just some dangerous, he goes, no. They believe the demons walk on the ground. And that's where they live and they can't climb. But they're definitely down there. He said the entire culture of the Maya tribe was built around fear. And so there are obviously cultures and people that that is a primary weapon of the devil. But in Western cultures, it's generally not that way. Paul says the things that we're coming up against literally out of this passage are arguments, pretension, things that are not true about God, and our thought life. Those are his primary inroads. And if we don't understand what we're fighting against, we're not going to have victory winning that battle. So let's take a look at these four different things that Paul mentions. The first one is arguments. He says, we can demolish arguments. I love the Greek language because it's so broad and colorful. and just gives a good concept, a good picture of what it is that Paul's talking about here. He says this word logismos. King James calls it high imaginations or vain imaginations. So it's things we just sort of conjure up. Have you ever imagined something that made you react emotionally and made you choose something that later you regretted because of imagining something? You imagine a conversation with someone you're not comfortable with and maybe you've got to confront them or they've got a tough personality and, and they've wounded you before. And so now you're about to have another conversation and you're, you're imagining what they're going to say and you're already reacting like this. Ever done that before? Yeah. That, if it becomes a habit, can become a stronghold of the enemy. But you've got to identify it to know that, hey, that's one of his tools, an argument, an imagination, a, uh, an idea, a computation, a reasoning, a calculation. We have to, what's the word? We have to think about what we're thinking about. And ask the question, is it really true from God's point of view, from God's vantage point? So Paul says, watch out for this because it will result in fear of a different kind. A fear of telling the truth. A fear of um, saying yes when you do something new and scary that you pretty sure is God, but you've just been intimidated by the whole thing. And so you, again, you lock up and you back down. 
Or when you say to yourself, you enter a, a group of people and, and there's this message, this idea, I'm not worthy to be their friend. They're all better than me. Or I'm better than them. And so we don't have koinonia, we don't have fellowship. Uh, it might be things like, God will probably abandon me if I go too far. He will probably stop loving me. Or if I take this risk over here, he probably won't go with me. Um, this happened to Peter, this kind of thing. He uh, was visiting the Galatians. Remember, he was uh, the one who was shocked to find out Gentiles could be saved. They didn't have to be Jewish. They didn't have to keep the law. They were saved by grace through faith. And so Peter was really kind of having this revelation that he could kind of drop some of his Jewish customs and eat with Gentiles at the same table, which is complete anathema to a, a faithful Jew. And so he's now experiencing freedom in Christ, realizing that Gentiles and Jews are the same in his eyes. And so he's getting to know the Galatians, and he's eating with them. And then Paul came and recognized something that Peter had changed. It says, he used to eat with the Gentiles, Paul speaking, but when they arrived, meaning those people from Judaism, his Jewish peers, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was, what? Afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, which was the people who were still living under the law of Moses. He was experiencing freedom from a stronghold that the enemy had in his life he was actually breaking out of it. He's starting to enjoy this freedom like, I'm hanging out with Gentiles. But he wasn't completely free. The enemy apparently still had a hook in him. A hook of fear and a hook of uh, fear of rejection, wanting to be accepted by his peers. And so that's all it took, baby. He saw them come and he said, oh, no, back away, back away. Act like you were never here. Oh, hi, guys. How you doing? Anybody ever do something like that? You're experiencing freedom in Christ, and then somebody that you want approval from shows up, and you change your tune and literally give your freedom back to the enemy instead of enjoying the freedom in Christ that you've won and just sitting right there and letting them deal with it. You see, you know, you know you're free from a stronghold when you're letting other people deal with your freedom than when you keep dealing with their demands and their control and their pressure. And those kinds of things. So Peter himself was not immune to this. I think eventually, based on his two epistles, he got free from that fear of man. And it was a wonderful and beautiful thing. So there are all kinds of things, uh, arguments, ideas, imaginations Satan likes to plant into our minds. And uh, one of them that I, I hear often is um, things will never change. It'll always be this way. This is my lot in life. I've heard this one recently. It's been kind of strange kind of comes up more often. My spouse is going to die. That's, that's a frightening thought. That's a very frightening thought. Um, another one that I've, it's kind of crazy, I feel this sometimes, we're going bankrupt. <laughs> like we just had a car repair or something, you know, some minor deal, but it was a couple hundred bucks more than I expected, and I'm just going, oh my gosh, it's all come crashing in. It's just crazy. It's crazy thinking. Um, I remember this was a, a stronghold the enemy used to have in my life. And it's, it's silly now, but it wasn't at the time. I, I'd be roofing, going up and down I-5 to jobs up in Seattle in my, in my vehicle. And I remember getting behind these big old logging trucks. And I would, my heart would just start pounding because I was envisioning this log just releasing from the truck, coming straight through my and just taking my head off. 
And I just could not shake it. I just had to literally pull off the freeway sometimes just to get myself gathered again. It's a silly thing, but the enemy really had me tied up with that. You see, if you can identify some things in your life where you're reacting to things that probably are not true, if we don't learn to deal with those, they will become strongholds if they haven't already. So next week when we begin looking at the armor of God, I, I really encourage you, write some things down if the Lord shows you something this morning because those weapons of our, our warfare, our armor, are really specifically designed to cancel out and to combat these things that the enemy's doing in us. So it's really critical. You take notes because you want to get good. Be expert at this thing called spiritual warfare. The second thing Paul moves on to, he goes, we can also demolish pretensions. Somebody tell me, what's a pretension? It could be, oh, pretending, yeah, root word, uh-huh, yeah. How else would you define that? Thinking you know the answer. Thinking you know the answer, yep, yeah. Yeah, different than you really pretentious, yeah, exactly. And you're actually right on track. That's just what the word in Greek comes from, hupsoma, an elevated thing, something of height, an elevated structure like a barrier, a bulwark. King James calls them every lofty thing. Just thinking more highly of ourselves, more highly of the situation, more important. It's just a pretension. It's kind of like an inflated view of something or someone, including ourselves. So Paul says you can demolish pretensions if you are aware that that's what's going on. You know, Jesus himself was tempted to become pretentious. When he was in the wilderness, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Can you see the temptation for him to think more highly of himself than he ought? The thing about pretension, it's really, it's really tricky because it's usually really close to true. He was the son of God. He did have the power to change stones to bread. He could have done anything he wanted. He had freedom, except for one thing. That was not his assignment from his father in heaven. So the devil will come in and, and tell all kinds of things about you that are probably true, like you actually are pretty smart, so why pray? You know, come on, you got this. You actually have done this before. You got a lot of experience. You don't really need to study or learn or get input. Just go for it. Things that are mostly true, but there's something missing. That's what causes this thing called pretension to occur. There are some of us who are um, still working full-time and have careers. We're on a career path. A lot of us are early in our path. A lot of us are near the end. And what I found is the, the longer you stay in a profession or a career or a company, or even if you jump around a lot, there, there's always this, this desire to move up, right? I mean, who doesn't want to make more money, have more to retire on, more to give to my grandchildren, more to give to Jesus and the church? Everybody wants to keep moving up. But have you ever been overlooked for a promotion. I am way more qualified than that joker over there. Why did he get it? Pretension. It could be completely true. It might have been nothing but politics that got him the spot instead of you. Because God really doesn't care a lot of times about qualification for the job or pay. What he cares about is an assignment that's specifically tailored for us. And what's, what's important is that we recognize pretension can get us off assignment. 
We can't just measure ourselves by education, experience, talent, training, or who we know. So pretensions can be tricky things. You've got to know when they're occurring in our minds so that the enemy doesn't get a hold of us and turn that into a stronghold. Because what happens when we become pretentious, I start feeling like I deserve more when I'm in a particular crowd. And some of us have this position. We're a boss, a manager. You could even be the parent of the family. And there are certain um, perks that go with being the boss or the parent or the manager, right? You kind of have a little bit more control over things and situations and people. If you're not careful, you can start playing the little, come on, bring it. I deserve. You owe me. You're little. I'm big. Have you seen that happen? you got to watch out for that. That can become a way of life. And some, the sad thing is the people who allow the enemy to do that often are the last ones to know they're doing it. They just kind of have this air of expectation. Everybody has to serve me. And that's, that's a really just an ugly thing. And so if that's potentially moving towards you in your life, you want to identify that so it doesn't get a hold of you. Because what happens too, there's a little blinder that goes over that says, I'm not doing that. I don't know what they're talking about. The enemy, very, very crafty. But it always starts with thinking a little bit more highly of ourselves than we ought. There's a third item that Paul brings up here. I could have shortened the phrase a little bit. We can demolish everything that's not true about God. But I couldn't shorten that phrase until I got here this morning. I go, that would have been way better. Anyway, we can demolish everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything that we hear that's not true about God, we can identify it and crush it and go, not buying it. I don't think so. This idea of the knowledge of God is the gnosis to theos. Gnosis to theos. That's kind of a cool statement, huh? Gnosis is simple, the knowledge of or about God. Gnosis, of course, is just every perception, every data point, every piece of information that we have about God. If we find something that's just even a little bit off track, Paul says you can see it, the Holy Spirit will show it to you, and you can shut it down. Whether it's in your brain, in a book, on the radio, or in another human being. But if you don't know God well, chances are you're not going to catch those things. Eve in the garden as we all know, was a woman who had pure and perfect knowledge of God, but still fell under Satan's spell. How did that happen? Isn't that just wild? Doesn't that blow your mind? How did that happen? A, Satan is that good. B, there was some kind of vulnerability that God created in Adam and Eve that didn't make them sin. But there was a vulnerability. So if that happened to the perfect man and woman, how many of us think we're going to escape? Right, come on. Don't be silly. It's not going to happen. We've got to be aware of what's possible. So here's what happened in the Bible. As you know, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, the fruit of the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Some of those things are kind of close to true. I, I think he was telling the truth when he said, your eyes will be opened. But what he left out is, you will not like what you see. Because <laughs> the whole world of evil was now available to Adam and Eve. Um, the part that's not true, you'll be like God. 
Well, they are already as much like God as they could ever be. They're made in his image. So it's kind of true, but not, kind of not true. Then how about this part? You will know good and evil. That was totally true. And Adam and Eve were supposed to go, woohoo! How wonderful! So he's kind of just blending truth and lies together all into one. And eventually, as we know, Eve and Adam both fell for it. And so when we're thinking about the things, uh, the knowledge of God, what's true about our Heavenly Father? We have to recognize that there are things that are like 95% true, but 5% off. And I'll give you a couple of examples. We heard earlier this morning, the joy of the Lord is my strength. We often conclude, therefore God wants me happy. Then we take it one step further. Since God wants me happy, let's move in together and not be married. See, transition. It's kind of like, yeah, God does desire for my joy and fulfillment and satisfaction, but ah, 5%, man, it's going to kill you if you're living in sin. Um, Another example would be, uh, God is everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all. I don't need to be in church to talk to God. I can be in the forest. Absolutely true, except the conclusion is just a little bit off. If we don't find those and catch them, we're going to just gradually, sometimes blindly, just walk into a trap, and suddenly we're locked up into this lifestyle and a habit that becomes something that's very much more difficult to get out of. Well, God's grace is so sufficient. His grace is so great. There's no sin too big for him. So therefore, let's just go through with this and just, let's go ahead and cross that line. He'll forgive us later. All true except for the rationale for the choice, right? That's not walking in the knowledge of God. We can demolish those things. When we smell a rat, we need to go, uh-uh, uh, I'm, I'm not buying I don't have to fall for that. That's where spiritual warfare is won in the day-to-day, everyday battle. How about this one? I can do all things through Christ. Okay, I've talked about my story about this before. I used to live under this incredible obligation and guilt that I couldn't do everything and all things all the time for all people. I had this little Messiah complex, which, by the way, was a demonic stronghold, if you don't know that. So sometimes we get this kind of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are some... Spouses, it could be men, it could be women, who are married to a spouse that's not saved. And because of verses like this, usually women feel incredibly guilty because their husband doesn't have any interest in the things of God. And so therefore, I'm not obviously a very good Christian. And so what happens a lot of times is they beat themselves down, they walk with their head down, their eyes down, they have no confidence whatsoever simply because they're expecting something that they do is going to change something only God can do. Do you know, I, I read a definition of depression recently. It was really good. It said, depression often occurs when we live under impossible expectations. And we just keep assuming, no, this should be possible. This should be possible. No, 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 it's, it's got to be. I don't, I don't want to walk in unbelief. I know God's going to make it happen. I don't know. That's his call, not yours, not mine. So, working against the knowledge of God is a critical thing to understand. Um, Here's one last one, or two or three. Since God is a God of justice, and I know he doesn't want that person who wounded me and devastated and ruined my life off the hook. He's a God of justice. Therefore, I will not forgive him. Half true, 
almost all true except the conclusion. And unforgiveness sets in, and then bitterness, which is a very powerful stronghold, is really, really ruinous to a human life. So we just need to kind of have this little catchphrase to demolish that argument, to demolish that thing that's not true about God by saying, um, I am going to let him off of my hook because I know that God will not let him off his hook. Amen. The Bible says vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And guess what? He's the only judge on the planet in the universe who's actually impartial. <laughs> right? You and I have all this partiality. Whoa, whoa. Is that my baby? Oh, another baby. Hi. Hi, honey. Sounded like Tabitha. Because she does that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I'm doing backflips or something, you know. Um, here's another example. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I tried to use this one when I first got saved. Hey, everything in creation was created by God, right? God created marijuana, right? Therefore... Therefore, we can keep smoking it. That was, I tried to use it. It worked for about two weeks. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit goes, just get, get over it, Alex. Just stop it. Just no. But, but we often do that. You know, that's not too far from what we're experiencing today. A lot of people are on prescription drugs. Hey, it's not only legal. It was prescribed by a professional. Therefore, I can just take it all I want for as long as I want. And the opioid addiction is killing people left and right nowadays. What was mostly true became an addiction and a stronghold and a lot of times death. You see how that begins? We've got to catch it as early as possible, identify it, then we can start using our armor to fight back. One final thing that, that Paul closes with, he says, therefore, take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. See, he, he dials it down to the, the minute data points that fly through our brain at a thousand miles an hour. He says, take half of them captive, let the others go. No. 90%, 10% ah, won't kill you. No, he says, every thought captive. This word thought is a really cute word, it's noema. Noema, a mental perception, thoughts or purposes, including evil ones. Oh, baby, she wants to be in here. Um, the reason I, it's a cute word, uh, we had a men's retreat. Tom Ferguson, who's uh, no longer with us, he's with Jesus. It was a pastor who came and did men's retreat for us guys here at RCC years and years ago. And we had a, a bass player, Brian Beausoleil, who uh, was also just a great artist. He did graphic arts for, arts for a living. And uh, so he's at the retreat. And so Tom has given his talk on Noema. And the way Tom described him, it almost sounded like this little varmint running around. You know, you got to watch those varmints, man. They're going to kind of fly all around. you got to keep track of those things, you know. Anyway, he's had a really illustrious way of, of describing it. So we could really, you know, we're men. We need picture words to get it. And so uh, we, we got through our, you know, hour-long time, prayed for one another. God did some amazing things in us. And um, then we went to lunch. And uh, Brian, unbeknownst to anyone, draws Noema on the chalkboard. And it's like literally this cute little blob with legs, you know. He's had this little evil stare on his face, you know, the little horn. I thought that was, I will never forget Noema. We have to recognize, the reason I, I, I chose the, the graphic with the brain and the puffy cloud thoughts going, oh, which direction, dark, gray, white ones, all this confusion, because that's really what's going on. We can literally think about 
1,300 thoughts per second, separate individual thoughts in the human brain. We're not conscious of them all, but you know as much as your mind, Janet's scratching her head. How many thoughts did it take to do that? Not much, except I itch. But the rest of your brain was going, just firing things off all the time. Obviously, not every thought has a spiritual implication. Blue socks or black socks? Hmm. But a lot of them do. And Paul's saying, take every one of them captive and make sure they're obedient to Christ. And that's where the battle is won. I've got a couple of books, Overcoming Darkness by Neil Anderson. Great, excellent book on spiritual warfare. Neil Anderson, if you want to do some good reading. And uh, he says, our primary weapon is our identity in Christ. (laughs) Really knowing who you are. It's kind of like the counterfeit dollar becomes obvious when you really got the real one down pat. Knowing who we are in Christ. And that's that's when those obvious arguments, pretensions, and things that aren't true about God just become so obvious. And that's why when we go through the pieces of our armor starting next week, uh, we're going to recognize this deluge of truth. This just being ambushed by the truth, man, all the time is how you really resist the devil, break down strongholds, and demolish everything he wants to do. So I encourage you to come back for the next few weeks, and uh, let's keep this thing going and get better and better. One of the things you have to know is... um, Tactics and techniques will never set you free if you don't have Jesus. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the one who sets us free. So I just want to say with my eyes, looking at your eyes, if you've not given your heart to Christ or if you've given it to him and you've walked away and you really need to just come back to him, his arms are open wide. He's ready to forgive and begin again. Or if you've never made the decision in the past, you don't have to understand it all. You just have to know in your heart, in your spirit, this is right. i got to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote yes and read the bill later. Oh, I just thought of that. That was a political joke. I apologize. Five of us got it. Sorry. But it's true. If you know in your heart, I just know I'm supposed to say yes, and your heart starts pounding, and you start getting nervous, and you want more information, you want to do more research, well, I think God is patient, and he wants you to make an intelligent decision, but there is a point in time where you just know this is right, and you've got to say yes to Jesus and give him your life. Like our worship team said earlier, surrender to him. That's when you taste freedom, for real. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you've given us your word so that we have a, a clear roadmap to discover what our adversary is up to, how to identify his tactics. And Lord, I thank you that you didn't just leave it there with a great identification system, but Lord, you've armed us with the spiritual armor of power and might in Christ so that we can fight this battle for our minds and we can win it. We, Lord, ask that you would give us a week of, uh, of maybe a little bit of upturning, Lord, and some revelation and some discovery about things that we don't love about our lives or ourselves because we've allowed the enemy to have way too much room. Would you identify those things so that we can walk in the true freedom that Jesus has won for us, Lord? Thank you for helping us. Holy Spirit, we trust you to reveal those things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.
Well, may God bless you and keep you and his eyes shine upon you. Have a wonderful week and hope to see you next Sunday. Thanks, Alex. And thank you, Lord, for your unconditional love. Perhaps you know someone who is in need of this message as well. Sharing these recorded teachings with a friend will always bring joy to Jesus. And more importantly, it will bring joy to them. Well, until next time, may God bless and keep you. Here's Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.